<laughs> You're not saying you haven't done it. That's the phrase. So you, so you like playing with yourself. No comment. Um, the less said, the better. We're just going to cut this part out of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that keeps on rocking even when we're locking. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, this is episode 214, in which everyone is still under quarantine, lockdown, shelter in place, etc., etc. We are all keeping well socially distanced from from each other. I think Kevin is current champion at this. It's been for a while. I have been for a while. You have trained for this many days. <laughs> And uh, we are continuing on with uh, life here in uh, No Gaming Land for a while. But we're going to be talking today about things you can do to stay engaged in the hobby while you can't go game. So uh, that will be our main topic. But first, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, well, first, before we do news and new releases, how's everybody doing? Kind of check it, do a mental check-in for everybody. (laughs) It's just it's fine. No, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been good. Like, I'm lucky enough that like my job, you know, I'm able to do it easily remotely, and you know, we're not doing any layoffs, we're not doing any of that. So it's you know, I, for for me, it's been kind of business as usual. Um, you know, save the commute time and having to you know put on like dress pants. So, <laughs> well, I guess. I'm like Kevin. I mean, I was already working from home one day of the week, and now our work's gotten busy again because of this. And I'm now working from home five days a week. So, like he said, it just I don't have to do a commute or dress up. Other than that, it's kind of stayed the same. I am trying to keep the day straight because I don't have any work from home, and it's just been a constant stream of okay what 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 have i got in backlog of things i can do today are you worried that you'll run out anytime soon oh no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and as for me yeah i'm kind of in the same boat as as kevin and dennis uh my job uh i already had the option to work from home occasionally and uh we quickly pivoted to everyone working remotely, and it'll be interesting to see how many people come out of that the other end still wanting to work remote and how many desperately need to get into an office to to get away from kids, because I hear that a lot from, <laughs> from just not necessarily my coworkers, but just people in general. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, because we... Like our kids have adjusted to we're we're doing uh, remote learning in our school district and my kids have adjusted to it pretty well but apparently not all of them have and not all parents have adjusted to it so uh it'll be interesting to see what happens but yeah uh, so yeah m- most of us are are what we would consider non-essential yet remote employees but uh I know a lot of our listeners are still in that essential category and to all of those 
of you out there who have to uh, go out and face the world and continue to do your jobs in this weird virus virus ridden hellscape that we find ourselves in. I salute you. I think we all do because I mean, y'all are on the front lines of this one way or another. I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. And then on the flip side of that, if you're non-essential, please stay the fuck home. Like I just, there's no reason to go out like, because you're putting yourself and other people at risk. So only go out when you have to, you know, maintain good social distance. Just listen to, you know, wear a mask. If you have a cough, like just, just be careful, you know, just follow all the, all the rules that everyone's, you know, that the CDC are saying and just, you know, take care of each other and just be, be thoughtful about if you really need to go out and do stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot again about flattening the curve and now we're starting to hear like the, even the phrase squash the curve of like, well, we flattened it in some places. Now we just have to crush it down. And part of that means that only works as long as we keep up on this until mm-hmm. the, until the danger is well and truly averted. So the long, and I know, there's a lot of people out there that chafe at the idea of not being able to do what they want to do or even even more so somebody telling them they can't go do the things they want to do. I get it. But this is one of those times when we have to not necessarily think about ourselves as much and we need to think about trying to keep our community safe and the best way we can do that right now for the next few weeks at least is to not give this virus anywhere to go. And so we can just, uh, keep, you know, just keep hunkered down at home and hold on, keep on, you know, keep calm and carry on type thing. And eventually the sooner, the long, if we can do that consistently, enough of us doing it consistently across the country, across the world, the sooner we can stop. And then we can get back to doing the things that we miss doing, like going to game stores, visiting friends, uh, just, you know, going out to a restaurant, not having to, you know, just take things to go. It's like, we'll be able to get back to that, but it's not going to be until we can get this down. And the best way we can do that is for everybody to stay home, which does mean, yes, hobby is, you know, the, the gaming hobby, the tabletop gaming hobby is kind of in an awkward spot right now. And, you know, Games Workshop is definitely feeling that they just sent out an announcement today that, unfortunately, they will not be able to reopen on April 14th, as they originally were planning. So uh, they are they're in this for the long haul, too, because I know England is kind of in that same spot where they're not ready to release. I mean, their prime minister is in the hospital, just got out of the ICU with this. So, um yeah, they're they're definitely going to keep hunkering down, which does mean you won't be getting any products anytime soon. But to be fair, that has not stopped. Yes, that has not stopped GW from trying to keep the community engaged. And so one of the ways they've done that is the previews that were originally going to be revealed at Adepticon have been revealed online in two separate Twitch sessions. And apparently that's only going to, that's only like half of what they wanted to reveal. There's another one coming up on April 18th. So like they, they're taking Easter weekend off, but after that, there's going to be another Twitch session on April 18th. And so for news and new releases, we're going to talk about some of the things that they revealed at these, uh, 
these Twitch uh, online previews. And it's actually been really cool seeing all of the uh, staff in their homes at their hobby corners, like live streaming this out. But uh, yeah, they all have much cleaner hobby spaces than I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in my garage. They, they have like nice little <laughs> attic spots and home offices and stuff. Uh, anyway, we're so uh, starting off from, uh, let's see, first ever Warhammer preview online. Uh, this You can follow along on these on Warhammer Community. But uh, let's see, our first first thing up, uh, and we're, I'm going to mostly focus on the 40k stuff, might take a couple of little asides to like Age of Sigmar or things like that, but we're going to primarily focus on 40k. First off, more in more details on some of their animation, such as the hammer and bolter death's hand short that's going to be coming, which uh, features uh, assassins, have specific, like the thumbnail features a Calidus assassin. I would play it right now, but it would go over the audio on the podcast, so I won't. But it's got, you know, it's a definite, it, it's a different animation style than we've seen on some of the other things that they've been previewing. So it's it's like more traditional cell style animation. But it's cool that they're like, they've got all these like different animated stories coming out of the store, Story Forge. Yeah, and well, and that's one of the things they kind of mentioned as well is that Hammer and Bolter is going to be kind of their you know, their anthology series. Mm -hmm. Um, So each episode of Hammer and Bolter will be a different story with potentially a different animation style, different characters, you know, bouncing between the various worlds that they've created. Um, And I, I find that fascinating. Like there's so much flexibility because, you know, and we'll, we'll get to some of the other story forge stuff later, but it's great to have that flexibility of being able to, you know, if you wanted to do something with assassins and kind of doing it as a more, you know, anime style, uh, you know, violent, you know, kind of kind of, you know, typical anime action anime style. And then when you go to do something that's more gritty or, you know, a little more serious, you've got different ways to tell that story as well. And I just think it's really cool because it opens up a lot of uh, a lot of tools for them to be able to tell different stories and kind of adapt to the best story that they want to tell rather than being locked into like a specific animation style for everything. Right. And, you know, and also like with the name Hammer and Bolter, we know that like we'll also see like this will probably be interspersed between 40K stories and Age of Sigmar stories. So we're going to get to see the variety of their IP covered with different styles for each. It's just so far Mm -hmm. they've mostly focused on uh, the 40K side. And I think that's because there's been a lot of really slick fan products for 40k that have come out and and that's part of what's inspired this because like the team that's working on angels of death which we'll talk about in a bit uh that's like the guy that was creating the hell's reach animated Mm -hmm. uh youtube videos and so they brought him on board and like gave him a team and it's like here have some have some right like have some top of the line writers here have some more money for animation and let's see what we can do so i'm excited for what they've got coming out of this anthology but hammer and bolter is a separate anthology from angels of death that's its own Mm -hmm. that's its own thing so they've got a lot they've got a lot coming out um they also announced at the same time that there's a story forge instagram uh, account now so you can go and you can watch the videos and see images from these on instagram as well Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things the way they were doing this whole uh preview and it's different than the previous previews they've done you know like at lvo or some of these other ones they had you know they would do the reveal and then they would have about five minutes or so with uh, Wade, the host, talking to somebody from that team. 
Um, which there was a little bit of that back and forth when you're doing like the LVO ones, but there was a lot more like time to focus in and say, okay, explain the footage we just saw, explain how this works. And to me, that was the most fascinating thing was the, the conversation with the team that's working on this, you know, to know what their thoughts are, what their process is. They mentioned that they're bringing in, you know, black library writers to write scripts and, you know, and they're uh, running ideas past, you know, the codex teams to make sure that everything's, you know, uh, up to speed with like the current fluff and the codexes. And it's just super cool. Like how they're going through and working as a unit to get all these stories done. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you can really tell it is a concerted team effort to, bring all this IP together and really start to leverage this IP in new and interesting ways. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we've seen comic books in the past and uh, comic books coming again, and obviously the Black Library novels and audiobooks. But like, this is the first time they really leaned into animation and trying to maintain that same level of consistent quality that we see in a lot of the, their other fiction lines. Yeah. Um, I do want to pop over real quick to uh, Age of Sigmar because I know this disturbs you to no end, Kevin, and that is the Holy Cows. I So, <sighs> so, so uh, for a little bit of background <laughs> on this, uh, uh, they've, they're coming out with new, basically high elf equivalents for uh, Age of Sigmar, and so mm-hmm. far what they've re- revealed of the Lumineth uh, uh, realm, realm Lords, the Lumineth Realm Lords, looks really cool. I mean, it's a great reimagining of kind of like yes. the older high elf designs. However, they've also added uh the the elf for wealth video was great. That the, was pretty great. I, that, I, that, that was, was great. pretty fun. And uh so like, well, what do you think of when you think of uh of elves? And it turns out like what was the top, the final answer was uh giant hammer wielding mountain cows. Yeah. yeah. In armor. Yes. That is it. And so That's not what I thought about no, 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 most people wouldn't have, but that is what they, uh, basically the, the idea is these are the, the avatars, if you will, of the mountains of Heish, the realm of light that the Luminor realm lords come from. And they take the form of giant mountain carrying, like on their shoulders, counting, carrying like avatar, like minotaur statues, wielding giant hammers. And then there are also, elves with wielding hammers with like cowhead helmets. So so I will say this. I actually love the elves with the hammers. I know a lot of people are like, "Why are elves wielding, you know, hammers? It's such a an unelfy weapon." No, that's kind of the point. That's actually why I kind of like those. The fact that you've got elf spearmen, elf bowmen, and then also, you know, a melee unit with gigantic friggin' hammers. It is kind of the antithesis of what you think of with elves, and I, that's kind of neat. I think the models look good. I I don't know what the hell they're doing with the battle cows. I just, I don't. I love them. I love the battle cows. It's it's not that it's ridiculous. Like all of this is ridiculous. I get it. I just don't, I I don't understand, I guess is my, (laughs) is is the hangup that I have. It's not that like the models are fine. I, I know this is weird to say about Warhammer stuff. I don't really like the shoulder pads, (laughs) but like, okay, fine. I, I'm not going to get into like the minutia of busy design or, you know, how does he swing a hammer? It's, it's magic ca- battle cow. I don't care how he swings a hammer. I, the question that I can't get past is why <laughs> that's, that's, that is 100% of my hangup. The models are fine. They look neat. They, they've got cool painted versions. I, I just don't know why that's, 
That's my question at this point. Why? Is why cows? Why? Yeah, why cow? Like why mountain cows? Like ah, uh, maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe once the book comes out, which we'll get to, you know, talk about maybe later. But like, that's fine. Okay, maybe there's a logical explanation for. It. I I will say this. I applaud them taking elves in a different direction because what they've done is they went from basically having in fantasy you know, your wood elves, high elves, and dark elves. You know, you kind of your three. Tolkien D and D standard elves and kind of split them up. And then in age of Sigmar, they've done different things with them. You've got uh, the deep kin and you've got these guys now. So it's like, I like that they're taking them in different directions. I just don't, this is just not the direction you would have taken. Yeah. I'm like, it's, it's, it's a, it's certainly a direction. And I like that they're sticking with it and that it's, you know, that the, the, the hammer elves have, you know, like cow skulls and, if you look back on like the uh, the Teclas and the uh, uh, the shadow armor monster the, that they have, Eltharian, like, the they light have Eltharian, like the yeah. cow, yeah, they have the cow motif as well. So I'm like, I like they're at least being consistent. I like they're taking elves in a direction that you wouldn't necessarily have thought to take them. Just why cows? Uh, just, just why battle cows? Yeah, like <laughs> it's that's my question. That's Maybe. my 100 percent of my hangup. Maybe they were just asked to make models that will move. Uh, <laughs> I would bad. say you should I be ashamed, but I, d- I think we're beyond that at this point. Uh, yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I I understand that I'm splitting hairs over like, well, I don't think these fantasy elves should have battle cows. I, I get it's a dumb argument. It's just it's one of those I look at it. And I'm like, that's the only thing I've seen so far for the uh, Lumina elves that I'm like, I don't. So I don't so much more than that. than the some other elves having stingrays, right? No, like again, like there's things in the in the deepkin where I'm like, eh, I guess it's fine, whatever. It's not really my thing. I don't know. Like I, I like that they're at least going for motif and they're being consistent. I just I think this is weird. So we're and I get it's an arbitrary line in the sand to draw, but this is weird. <laughs> It's a weird that you don't get in 40k. Like they, they 40, yeah, yeah, I think because fair. 40k is kind of like has that science fiction kind of hook on it. It's like you can't get too weird or th- or things just go awry. But well, there's still Slanesh and Nurgle. Yeah, but like demons, like demons are kind of free form. Like the idea yeah. is like yeah. demons, you can just do kind of whatever and everything's kind of fine. But if yeah, you think about the evolution of 40k, like they've kind of taken out all of the super weird stuff. So like biker squats are no longer part of 40k elves that ride dinosaurs are no longer part of 40k like it's not a they're like, still they're, they're, they're still in the background there, they're but... not making models they're not you know they're not they're not i mean we there was the zote model but like they got rid of like the zotes as a faction and like they've gotten rid of a lot of the weird stuff that was in the early editions of 40k and kind of streamlined it into this like cohesive fan uh science fantasy universe and like i get that in age of sigmar they have a lot more flexibility they could just kind of go nuts and and i applaud that because there's a lot of really cool stuff they've created i just you just I look expect at them to I'm go like, cow nuts battle cow that's a uh, that's weird battle cows for elves that's uh, okay it's unexpected <laughs> you you gotta admit though it definitely <laughs> takes them in a different direction so yeah yeah i it's like I said, I'm not even a hundred percent opposed to it. I just the sole question I have right now is why. <laughs> and <laughs> that's I think like, beca- and I think the answer is because they wanted to. 
yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are are we done milking the subject? I think, yes. I think so. Oh man, Richard, you're on a roll tonight. <sighs> That's only my job. Uh, we definitely we I definitely know. took this topic by the horns. I will say that. Oh man, <laughs> I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> you could have let it go. You you could have let it go. Right. But, you know, you had to, you had to grab onto it and ride. So, <laughs> uh, moving on uh, for yeah, Kevin's yeah. for Kevin's health and for us all. Um, so we're going to skip the uh, Middle Earth stuff because hey, plastic Eomir, yay! Yeah, uh, I mean, cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, but anyway, we talked about this last episode, and it was officially completely confirmed. Fabius Bile is back, back baby, and his new model looks like Vigo the Carpathian. <laughs> I mean, his yeah, old model kind of looks like Vigo. His old model looked kind of like, but his new model really looks like Vigo the Carpathian. Yeah. However, they've done so, a phenomenal job of updating all of the details of the old model into new style. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's basically, it's, it's not a radical departure from the previous model. It's just, it's just better and sharper and crisper in every aspect. Like, it's, it, it's what you want in an upgrade. Like, it's the same but better. Well, and they uh, point out he's like the last of the original classic Chaos Space Marine characters to be updated. And just like with Abaddon, Armon, and Karn, he's well worth the wait. And I would agree that like with those models, they kept like all all three of those previous models kind of kept the feel of the old while definitely embracing the newer style that they do. And I think they've done that in spades with uh, Fabius Bile. Also on the, uh, the community site, because I'm just kind of like what scrolling through as we're talking about this there is a really cool like as you're scrolling through like just overlay of the old model versus the new model where you can just kind of scroll up and down and see the difference and yeah it's awesome but but you can see it's like (laughs) yes he's got the needler he's got his staff he's got the trujan's backpack and like only thing it doesn't have that i just realized is on the old model there were like faces like sewn into the into the cloak and that detail is not there on the new it's one, not there is, on the front but it could be but on it's the not back. there on the front fair enough fair enough but it's like even like his pump over his heart with like the three tubes and the extra yeah. tube coming from his torso like that's there so cool. it's like every like yeah. all the the major details that set him apart are there just again reimagined mm-hmm no, it looks it's an awesome upgrade. And we got a, uh, some more detail on the book that he's in, which is uh, War of the Spider, which is apparently going to take place on the Cadia system <laughs> and is going to involve the Death Guard, the Officio Assassinorum and the Talons of the Emperor. So I don't. Ooh. So Ooh. Custodes definitely and possibly Sisters of Silence. Oh, those combined are what the Talons were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the book will include new rules for the Adeptus Custodes, Sisters of Silence, and Imperial Assassins. There will also be additional rules for each of the seven plague companies of the Death Guard. That doesn't surprise me. We saw the same thing with uh, sure. with Thousand Sons in Ritual of the mm-hmm. Damned. And a new Chaos Space Marine sub-faction called Agents of Bile, representing the twisted creations of the Clone Father. So we get a new non-Legion Legion. And <laughs> I wasn't thinking this book would have anything for me, but if it's got the Custodes plus Sisters... Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's going to have a lot for you. So, I yeah, that one's going to be very interesting. And so that's so we've got Engine War coming up next, and then we've got War of the Spider coming out after that. Yeah. So yeah, that one's that one's going to be a neat book. And that would also we saw the uh, when we were when I was reading stuff out from Saga of the Beast, 
last episode mentioned, you know, the, uh, the custodes wanting to go after, uh, the death guard. So that basically that was our, a little hint preview of war of the spider. So <laughs> they just weren't expecting uh, Fabius bile to show up. And then finally, uh, well, not finally, there's actually two more things for the, from the first preview. There's the new scions of flame for war cry, which another set of just absolutely baller models. Yeah. And if you're wanting to do like chaos cultists, yeah, those are, those are begging to be converted to chaos cultists. <laughs> oh Yeah. Well, all the Warcry models are, like, really yeah. good for doing stuff like that. Yeah. And then finally, the next-to-last Primarch for Horse Heresy has been announced, and that is a uh, resin Lionel Johnson for the Dark Angels, which will have uh, has multiple head options, so you can either have his winged helmed helmet, or you can have him with it, like, without his helmet on, and he's... Actually, got, I think it looks better without. I agree. I think he, yeah, with, without the like uh, most of the other Primarchs, I think Alpharius still has his helmet on, but I think most of the others, yes, are bareheaded. And uh, I think I, I agree. I think uh, the lion looks better with his helmet off. So, the only thing I'll say with the, the winged helmet that I'll, that I'll say that I, I like about it, not that I said, not that I like it better than the, the regular head, I like that they kind of shaped his to look more like an actual like uh knight helmet. Yes. So when he's got that on, he actually kind of looks more so than any of the other Primarchs. He actually looks like an Arthurian knight, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's always been kind of the, the vibe that they've mm-hmm. driven with him. I do also like his gaming, like, like a lot of the models, his gaming base slots into a diorama base with a heap of dead night lords at his feet, representing parts of the bloody Thramus campaign. You can, of course, paint the dead space marines in any color, even black winks in heresy. <laughs> because if you, they, they can always lean into the Dark Angels traitor joke. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we do. We do every time we can. Yeah, so. <laughs> and then they did make the uh, special like adepticon only uh primaris lieutenant available for purchase for like two weeks only i think it'll it, it ends this saturday so by the time you hear this it'll already be sold out but it's like they basically made it available for two weeks and then never again but that's better than not being able to get it at all <laughs> so yeah exactly and then that takes us to preview two which was last week or this this past weekend, and uh, again a little bit of a visit to uh, Age of Sigmar. Again, talking about the Lumineth Realm Lords, and I, I just want to bring this up because this is the second time we've got a special ar- special release army box. We had, the first mm-hmm. one was the Sisters of Battle at the end of last year, and now they're getting one for the new uh, the new uh, elves, which is pretty slick. Uh, it actually comes yeah. with quite a lot. Uh, because let's see, it features ten Arlon Wardens, five Venari Dawn Riders. So you basically get spearmen and cavalry, and you get that Light of Eltharion animated suit of armor, which is really cool. And then, uh, and they even say you can add more troops or walking mountains if they're your thing. Just for you, Kevin. <laughs> Just for you. Well, the thing that's most interesting to me, though, about this is there. Like you said, they're following that Sisters of Battle model. So this box will be available before the rest of the army does. Right. Um, so, you know, this will have exclusive models. This will also be the first time that you can get the uh, Battle Tome with the limited edition cover and things like that. Well, Sisters had that too. 
Right. Well, so that, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like this, you'll be able to you have to buy this, I assume, very limited, very exclusive box set to be able to get the rules first. And as we mentioned with the Sisters of Battle Box, I love the Sisters of Battle Box. I think the models are great. I like the, the codex with the awesome limited edition cover. I really hate and really hope they don't continue the trend of, hey, pay us extra money so you can get your rules first. I would say the sisters was kind of a, a, a special case in that instance because here was an army that people already had playable rules for, already had models for, and suddenly like there would be a gap where not everybody would have access to the rules for the mm-hmm. model the, for the newest rules. This being a brand new faction for that army and brand like completely new, there nobody has Lumineth Realm Lords from before. I think it's fine in this case. But yeah, uh, I just, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah, I just I don't want GW to take the wrong lessons from kind of the success of the Sisters of Battle release and be like, oh, anytime we do a new faction, we should release a $200 box set with exclusive things that you can only get here and then not release the rest of the army for a couple of months afterwards. Like that's that that gets back into some of the you know, as we talked about before, some of the kind of pay to play stuff and where it's like you're you're you know, you get you edge closer back to like the the things where it's like, oh, well, we're going to put this out and then only things are available. And if you pay more, you can get this earlier. And I'm like, I just don't I'm not I'm not super comfortable with that business model if it continues. Maybe it's only going to be for one off things. They'll do maybe one a year or something like that and won't be a big deal. But I don't want them to get greedy and start doing this more. No, I I understand where you're coming from. I, I would just say that, like, as you know, as, as kind of like I said, the sisters I think was kind of a, a special case, and I and I'm completely on board with you with the idea of the sisters rule book being limited to who bought the army box at the time was not. I did not like that move, even though I ended up mm-hmm. buying an army box primarily to get the codex. I, yeah, but I did too. But in this case, because it is a brand new army, if somebody's really interested in playing this faction, I don't have a problem with giving kind of a special, like special preview. It, it's kind of like the exi- the idea of like pre-ordering a, a faction type thing it's and just, getting a pre-order bonus. I guess the thing for me though is I would just rather them release. I, I hope they're going to do this, and maybe they won't. But I just rather them make the codex available for everybody. Yes, if you buy this, you can get the models and you can get the, you know, the cool start collecting models and the limited edition codex and all of the other stuff with it. Or if you just want the rules, you can buy the battle tome and then we'll release the waves of model models later. Like I that's the thing I don't like about it. Now, so. I I will say I do like there's one thing this box has that the sisters box didn't and I really would have liked it and that is the faction specific dice. Huh. Uh, the why, why, and why would the, you want faction specific dice for sisters? It's not like they have a mechanic built around that. Yeah, no kidding. And I also like the fact that they definitely show that these dice only have icons on the six. <laughs> They're learning. Yeah, but they made them weirdly translucent too. So the, I don't know. It, tra- the translucent <laughs> doesn't bother me as much. But the fact the fact that the that the pips yeah. are very easy to read because it's black pips on yellow gem dice and. The ones are definitely ones, and the sixes have symbols like a lot of people get their custom dice made. That's the way to make custom dice. Yes, agreed with that. Yeah. And, like, it's neat that they're doing all the, you know, the faction cards and tokens and stuff in there as well. So, like, I'm not opposed to having 
the launch box set. I just, I don't like them kind of, for lack of a better term, kind of paywall locking rules for, for some of these things. I'd rather than make all the rules available and yeah, you're getting this because you want the exclusive models and you want the deal. Hmm. All right. Then moving on blood bowl, tree men, hey, if you and play a squirrel and a squirrel. Yes. Uh, then okay, moving on to horse heresy, a pair of, uh, uh, word bearers, praetors, which, for one thing, like for being resin models, these look, I mean, they look like they're sculpted in plastic as, as yeah. well as they're painted. But honestly, it's like any Word Bears army would be happy to have these as like Chaos Lords in them. They look fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like the one guy's got like a giant, like the guy in Terminator Arms got a, a brazier of fire on, you know, on his on his back. And then he's got like a flaming maul and stuff. Like you could easily use these to, you know, convert or or just use them as as is to like make an awesome uh you know dark chaplain uh with that you know with that maul or uh, use them as chaos lords and stuff like you've got awesome options with those yeah yeah i saw i saw a number of people like just online talking about how they just want the squirrel bit <laughs> from the tree <laughs> <man>. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he's an angry looking squirrel too he is yeah he's surly <laughs> And let's see more more Lord of the Rings stuff, and then we get to Angel, the Angels of Death trailer, which yeah. that is phenomenal. And I love that they're doing it in a limited color palette, where it's all black and white, and then like red, like color splashes of red. Yeah. yeah. No, like again, that that's the you know because this is a gigantic space battle, and it's a little more like realistic, you know, war filmy i you know for lack of a better term than like the death's hand was so like i like that they've got the flexibility to do a completely different animation style to you know to it is this more uh grim dark um <laughs> color palette and then you know which really makes when the blood angels thunderhawk comes around like it just makes it pop off the screen you know when the the blood angel uh captain walks by you know in his bright red armor on this gray color palette like it pops it, it's a great shorthand way to just portray the like awesomeness of the space Marines. And I, I think that's awesome. Yeah. And then this is also at least this segment of it is set in the midst of a void battle between a Tyranid bio fleet and, uh, yeah. and the uh, blood angels. And there's some just absolutely massive looking Tyranid ships and then also apparently like the captain of the uh, Blood Angel Strike Cruiser is going to be like one of the major characters. So nice. they're focused like it's not just like the space yeah. marine side of it, but also the the very human side with the captain. She she looks badass as well. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and they were talking, you know, doing a little interview with it. They they talked about one of the guys that's writing it. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, like the captain's my favorite character we've written for any of these, mm-hmm. you know, and like that's awesome that that's not just the space Marines that are getting all the attention or, you know, it's, you're seeing all of these other crazy, you know, elements of the 41st millennium that you don't necessarily get to see. And you're going to see it from other characters perspectives. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's very cool. And then they also showed a couple of like a couple of freeze frames of some other computer generated, obviously uh, animation that they're doing one featuring a bloodied, but very angry looking sister of battle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the uh, the head of a space, like just 
kind of the the portrait head spin around of a uh, of a what looks to be a space marine. So yeah. we're seeing they've got some awesome stuff and looks like very high quality animation, very high quality modeling. So they well, they're putting a lot of work into this. That was one of the things that they also kind of mentioned, especially when they were showing the like realistic 3D rendered, you know, model of the space marine head. They they also mentioned that like that's part of the reason why they're doing like the the cell shaded animation for some of the hammer and bolter stuff where they're going to do these other animation styles because they're like we want to be able to con- constantly turn out uh, content and some of it's a lot faster than others like this right. super impressive 3D rendered model is going to take a lot longer to do whereas we might be able to turn out you know, several episodes of the animated show and get it completed while we're also working on one of these and I think that's just a very neat kind of way to load balance that mm-hmm. so well, and it also, like, looking at, the, like, the Space Marine spin around or the Sister of Battle, it's like, how long do you think it would be until we might get a good animated film? Like, a, like I, when I say good, I mean by com- contrast to Ultramarines, you know. Oh, just, well, but, like, something that is, like, theatrical quality good. I mean, with the amount of time and energy they're putting into this, like, I... I fully expect it's going to get, we're going to get something. I, I fully expect there will be enough, at least with like what they're, what they've shown so far, though they're taking a scattershot enough approach that there's going to be something in there for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that. I think that's very cool. If you're interested in, you know, the, if you're interested in like animated versions, there's this, if you're interested in like a sisters of battle story, there's clearly going to be one of those. There's space Marine stuff. There's these gigantic fleet battles. I, I would love to see stuff from, you know, a Xenos or Chaos perspective. But, like, there's a lot of different ways they can take this. Um, and, you know, it, it, not to diminish the quality by saying, by what I'm going to say, but, like, it seems like with just the kind of the, the, the approach they're taking where they're trying to cover a lot of bases, some of it's going to be good just because it's going to have to be good. Right. You know, and but also they're putting a lot of effort into this. They're getting good writers. They're clearly getting good animators. So I I, I have high hopes for this. I think this is going to be really good. Yeah. Let's see. Then another Age of Sigmar. This one with the all giants faction that's coming, which yeah. means they'll get a really big army box, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am looking forward to this because the uh, – the giant model that they have from Age of well, from Warhammer Fantasy is 10, 15 age. years old. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a great model and it's great for conversions, but it is an old model and it it needs it needs some sprucing up. And I think there could be some really cool uh conversion opportunities with like an all giant faction. Yeah. And then finally let's see, was it is it the finally? I believe this is the last one, yeah. Yeah. Other than the uh the gift voucher offer yeah. but uh so finally uh talking about psychic awakening pariah which is the next book after war of the spider and it features two returning characters who were originally featured in a comic that was released 20 years ago <laughs> i did not realize that Dem- I, I have not read demonifuge but i had heard of it i did not realize it was 20 years old yeah <laughs> which granted is only like either. 2000 but still no. <laughs> so uh Ephrael Stern and Kiganil are two characters featured in that and they are returning to 40k Ephrael Stern is a sister of battle who 
has special powers against chaos, and she has a Harlequin companion slash bodyguard, Kiganil. And both of these models look fantastic. Very yeah. hyper-dynamic, or at least Stern is very dynamic. Kiganil has a very dynamic base. Yes, I really like the, the hologram thing, because it reminds me of the Solitaire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, very cool. Yeah, so they are... Uh, they are featured in uh, Pariah. And w- when the name Pariah, like there had been some people who'd been doing some data mining and had found the name Psychic Awakening Pariah in some like preview price product listing. And everyone was like, oh, that means Necron Pariahs are coming back out. And that still might be the case because Necrons Maybe. have not been featured in a Psychic Awakening book yet. So mm-hmm. that is still theoretically possible. But Pariah also refers to Ephrael Stern because she is kind of a pariah that everybody in the galaxy wants her dead. <laughs> well, except the, I assume, except the uh, Harlequin. Well, yes, the one Harlequin, but <laughs> he's also considered a pariah. He's kind of like, apparently like the last of his mask was is the way he's described. It's like kind of a, a final survivor because you'll notice yeah. he's also not masked up. He's got his, he doesn't have a helmet or anything. But uh, rules for them will be in Psychic Awakening Pariah. Uh, They're doing a 20th anniversary special edition re-release of the Demonifuge graphic novel. Uh, And apparently they've, uh, like, recolored it. So they've gone through and, like, kind of remastered the comic, keeping the original line art but redoing all the color. And then uh, Harlequins and Death Watch are getting the Psychic Awakening treatment, but they're not getting it in a book. They're going to be in White Dwarf. I saw that, which actually makes me want to pick up that White Dwarf because, well, those are two of the factions I enjoy playing in Death Watch. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, or also in Death Watch. <laughs> Although I'm curious, I'm curious why they would put them in White Dwarf and not give them their own Psychic Awakening book. Or maybe it's just like that. Maybe we're nearing the end of Psychic Awakening, and they just didn't have spots to throw them in because because Pariah is, I think, so the 10th have... book? Yeah. So, like, so people have been tracking, like, all of the factions, you know, that have been marked off and, like, what are coming up, and they basically said, that, yeah, Sisters of Battle are going to be in this one. I assume Necrons will be in this one as well. And, like, you start looking at it, and there's not really... The only other, like, two factions would have been Harlequins... <laughs> I guess technically Inari, but like Harlequins. No, Inari, Inari were in the like, very first one. Oh, they were in the first one. You're right. Sorry. Uh, Harlequins and uh, uh, Death Watch. So if they're only putting two factions in this last book and every other book has had four plus factions. So I guess it leads me to well, it leads me to a couple questions. Do like, I clearly if they're just getting a, a White Dwarf update, then there's no new models or anything coming for Death Watch or Harlequins, which fine okay they're not going to get any cool new models they've got all plastic lines and they've got great models so not a huge deal there but it leads me to wonder like what are they doing with the other quote-unquote you know two quote-unquote slots in that last book does that mean that they're actually going to be only focusing on two armies and pushing pushing this book to like narratively wrap up the whole psychic awakening arc are they do they have something completely bonkers and brand new that they're going to add in the psychic awakening book. And that's going to be the other half of this one. Like it just, it's weird because well, to be fair, saga of the beast only yeah. had two factions in it. Yeah, I guess. And I don't te- know. It just 
And yeah. technically, Phoenix Rising only had two factions in it. Well, th- three. It had Inari. It yeah. Had the, but the Inari are three models. So, yeah. It just, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out if they're all, if they're giving these to the white dwarf treatment that I don't know, just it, it makes me wonder what else is going to be in this book because sisters just got a brand new codex very recently. So it's like, I can't imagine there will be a lot in there for them. There'll be a little bit obviously, but like, I don't know. I just, it, I, it makes I me imagine, wonder like what else is going to be in that book. Well, see, I imagine the, the prior book will probably be sisters and Necrons and sisters and Necrons have a history. They have, you know, they've, and anybody who knows their sister's lore knows about Sanctuary 101, which was one of the first worlds where the Necrons really made themselves known by basically wiping out a sister's monastery. It's kind of a classic matchup. And so having having sisters versus Necrons narratively does not surprise me. And it would also like apparently one of the other things they mentioned in the in the preview talk was uh that pariahs also refer to like psychic nulls which mm-hmm. with the psychic awakening coming up could be very useful and also why it could be why the necrons are involved maybe necron pariahs are going to be a thing again Ooh. but i could also see where like maybe death watch and harlequins like the harlequins kind of show up anywhere where the eldar have been showing up in the mm-hmm. storyline but uh Death Watch and maybe that just like narratively they don't have a a big enough flashpoint battle to to work them in to justify like a whole book for those two factions and it, but it does make me wonder if Pariah is in fact the last book like they're going to wrap it up at 10 which would put let's see they started this what like last June or July mhm and uh, if yeah. And if we are in, like, we're in April now, we know Engine War is coming later this, well, would be coming later this month once they can actually start shipping product again. But I imagine, you know, with with Saga of the Beast being the March book, Engine War would have been the April book, War of the Spider would have been the May book, and that would put Pariah as the June book. And at that point, they're pretty much have completed their year cycle with, like, you know, a couple of months off of there because, mm-hmm. you know, they had other things coming out. I wouldn't be surprised if like maybe Psychic Awakening ends at 10 books and that's and then that sets the, you know, sets the stage for whatever Market. happens next, whether there's a an 8.5 or 9.0 mm-hmm. rule book, or, you know, just that just kind of consolidates and cleans everything up kind of the way the Age of Sigmar 2 book did. But yeah, it tells me that that's we're kind of done at that point. Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Maybe that is, maybe that's the book. Also, maybe by only having two factions in it, which sisters won't necessarily get a whole, I mean, I imagine you'll have make your own order, just like you'll have make your own dynasty for Necrons. You know, you'll, they'll have that. They'll have some new stratagems. They'll have data sheets for the couple new characters, maybe a new unit or two for Necrons, you know, maybe, but then I could see a whole, maybe a good chunk of the book being dedicated to, and this is the stuff that is now available to armies because, uh, like, just generically because of Psychic Awakening. I don't know. Maybe, you know, but just kind of like the wrap up. Or maybe there will be an 11th book that is just a conclusion book mm-hmm. that covers a little bit of everything. I mean, it's all up in the air at this point. 
but maybe no, we'll find out more in a couple of weeks. That is true. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that's going to be there. There's going to be more in that in the next preview. Yeah, and I'm curious, like some there's been some things that have been hinted at for a while, like Primaris land speeders or Primaris bikes or Primaris jet bikes, maybe. So who knows? Like there's we're still plenty of room available for stuff to show up in preview three but as of right now like we've got a kind of a good uh blueprint for where the rest of the the summer like the rest of the spring and early summer is going for this again assuming things can start shipping again but i would also not be surprised if they continue on with digital releases because like saga of the beast Mm -hmm. is available digitally now so i wouldn't be surprised if we see engine war available digitally the day that they would have released the print version and yeah. and go and but then I think by the time War of the Spider would be out, hopefully they can start shipping product again and get back on that cycle. But yeah, so it, they even though it's really only like eight or nine things released, and maybe only half of those were at most were forty k. There's been a lot revealed in just those two two segments, and a lot of really cool stuff. So I'm very curious to see what more is coming. GW is is not out of ideas yet, not by a long shot. (laughs) That's pretty much it for news and new releases. So uh, we'll jump over to listener mail. Uh, As always, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And uh, when we're done, we'll tell you how you can get your letter read on the air. Uh, We do only have one letter this time, and it's understandable. There's not a lot of play going on right now, so not a lot of questions popping up. But please feel free to send us questions. And again, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. But uh, So we're just going to focus on this one. It's from Jeremy Hagen. And Jeremy writes, Hello, guys. On the last show, you mentioned that you were at the bottom of the mailbag. And we still are. And I hope that you might have time to work in an army list review. I'm the patient kind, and as you'll see, I'm building this army on fluff, not to keep up with a competitive meta, so I don't mind waiting a while. Ah, we got nothing else going on, so we'll talk about it. Uh, I've been haunting Metal Sister eBay auctions for about three years. Sorry, Rob. Ah, no, no, I'm good. I've got, I've got enough metal sisters at this point i'm i'm doing fine and i'm just now getting around to painting them i built this list with the metal models that i currently have and would prefer not to get any of the new plastic units i know they're great kits but i'd rather start with what i already have i'm try i try to build armies around specific play styles or themes for instance i have an orc truck based army and an orc walker army a jump pack blood angels death company army and i'm building a necron destroyer cult to go with my silver tide My intention is to run my sisters as a mechanized infantry army. I know this perhaps isn't the strongest build, but I would like to pick Rob's brain and anyone else who wants to chip in. Below is my proposed list. Keep in mind, I'm just using the metal sisters I have or proxies. I haven't bought any of the vehicles yet. So he is running a Valorous Heart Battalion, uh, Candace with a bolt pistol and power sword, Candace with bolt pistol, power sword, Book of St. Lucius, Heroin in the Making, and Indomitable Leaf Warlord trait. Uh, four squads, five battle sisters each. Superior has a chain sword and two storm bolters. So every, each squad is the same. An Imagifier with Tale of the Stoic. Three exorcists with the exorcist mi- missile launcher. Four rhinos with storm bolters. And then a Valorous Heart Outrider detachment of Saint Celestine, pair of Gemini, Seraphim squad with, f- uh, five. A, uh, Superior has a chain sword and plasma pistol and two have Inferno pistols. And then two minimum-sized Dominion squads with four Melta guns in each, a full Retributor squad, uh, one sister with a Simulacrum, and four Heavy Bolters, and then an Immolator with a twin Melty Melta, and an Immolator with a twin Heavy Flamers. 
This leaves me with nineteen. It leaves me at nineteen ninety-two points with eight CP at the beginning of the game. Ideally, the Exorcist, Celestine, and the Retributors and other support make a firebase. Dominion squads and the Immolators will push up the field to flame any screens and melt melt faces on the big threats. The Seraphim squad is meant to deep strike and assassinate troublesome characters. The Battle Sister squads remain in their rhinos and claim objectives. What stratagems do you suggest I use? Am I on the right track as far as running these as Order of the Valorous Heart? Thank you, Jeremy from South Dakota. So, first off, let's uh, cover what, uh, or just so that everybody's on the same page. Order of the Valorous Heart is uh, basically your army has uh, six up, feel no pain, and you ignore AP minus one weaponry. If you have an Imagifier with Tale of the Stoic, which also provides a my ignore AP minus one, you ignore AP minus two within range of that. So, everybody has uh, Valorous Heart. And Valorous Heart is like, you is often run with like exorcists. Like if you run a, like a canonist and three exorcists and a spearhead with Valorous Heart, you'll see that a lot. And mm-hmm. just because that, and then like an Imagifier, if you want. So just basically, you, your uh, tanks ignore pretty much everything except, um, you know, anti-vehicle weaponry. So you know, it can help. It definitely can help protect, especially against like melee attacks and such, where you know people are just running on, you know, number of attacks. And maybe hitting you with like a like an assault mode, hitting you AP minus one or something like that. But uh, so, and just also so everyone knows, so again, so that we're all on the same page. The Book of Saint Lucius uh, increases the range of aura abilities by three inches. So you've got one canonist who has a nine-inch bubble of reroll ones, and. The uh, heroine in the making is a stratagem that's used to give a second character a warlord trait. And which I'm assuming means Celestine is the warlord so that uh, you get her beacon of faith ability. Mm-hmm. And then uh, indomitable belief is the warlord trait that uh, improves uh, shield. You basically improves your invulnerable save by one within six inches or in this case, nine inches. So what I find unusual about this is the Exorcist, Celestine, and the Retributors and other support make a firebase. I I don't know if that's the best use for Celestine. Yeah, I I think that it's a would be a good place to put like a canonist back yes. there with them. But I don't know that Celestine's the best option for that. Now now Celestine provides the the same ability as Indomitable Belief, basically, but it only affects infantry, so it's not gonna affect the exorcists. It would affect the retributors, and that's about it. Whereas the indomitable belief also only affects infantry. So it depends on what you're doing with the canonists. The Battle Sister squads remain in rhinos and claim objectives, which means I'm I'm curious to see where where Jeremy is thinking of putting the canonesses. Because yeah, I- I would definitely run the like because I would put the one with Book of Saint Lucius near the Exorcists, but you could also get the same effect. I mean, Bolt Pistol Power Sword. Uh, I mean, Bolt Pistol Power Sword. I think they may have changed the. Or I think it's. I think they tweaked the rod on that so that the Rod of Office isn't available for uh, Bolt Pistol Power Sword. Yeah, it's only. It's like, I think it's only to take a chance. Or no, it's it's like. Power sword and like plasma pistol now because the model is actually equipped with a plasma pistol. Yeah, 
but it, basically the but the book is a free relic and gives you the same thing it's a three inch aura increase so i would probably run the 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 canonist without the relic of the warlord trait i would probably put her with the exorcist and kind of have her standing kind of in there to get the re-rolls and, and any of those benefits. And then I would be using the Indomitable Belief and Heroin in the Making uh, the, and the book to spread out her aura to the infantry and, you know, and, and be able to kind of – I because there's the thing. If you put her in a rhino, then you don't really gain any benefit from that. So I don't know. Like it's – interesting i mean i guess you could see putting that next to the retributor or the dominion squads but it sounds like they're going to be moving forward so the the one thing that that actually also i thought of while i was while you're reading through this since the idea is to kind of push the dominion squads and the retributors and i assume they're probably going to both go on the emulators and push them forward i would look at potentially making this a split order i still i think that taking uh the outrider to uh not outrider basically making the valorous heart detachment uh for like the exorcist and a canonist and like uh heavy the whatever the heavy detachment is the spearhead spearhead thank you that makes sense because i think you get the benefits from them and you can do all those and you know maybe throw the imagifier in there to to also get that same impact for the sister squads and the dominions and the retributors, I would potentially look at ardent shroud because the ability to advance and still fire your weapons. I mean, I know this is all going, they're mechanized. They're going to be in rhinos a lot, but let's be honest. Rhinos aren't going to last too long. Um, so like the ability to have these units still be able to push forward, especially like the dominions to be able to, you know move advance and still fire like you know at at full impact i think it would is i don't know that it's better than the ap minus one but i think it's i think it's an interesting trade for the way that you're wanting to play Mm -hmm. yeah and also the seraphim squad uh meaning being meant to deep strike and assassinate characters is not going to be good at that and and the reason i say that is a okay so deep strike so your deep strike is going to keep you at nine inches away when you come in. And unless you burn, uh, let's see, where is it? Unless you burn a CP for deadly descent when you drop them down, which you should, um, yes. it, it's going to add six inches to the range of their pistols and Inferno pistols only have a six inch range anyway. But it also means you won't get the Melta damage. Like you, cause you'll still be outside the now Melta range of six inches. So, and they're also like strength six pistols. I mean, they're not, they're not bad by any means, but I, and also like if they, if, I mean, you've got to find somewhere where you can drop in and be within nine inches of a character and have that be the nearest model. Cause the Seraphim don't really have yeah. any way to target characters independently. So I, 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 when I run Seraphim, I usually run them as a screen for Celestine. Yeah. And I, but I also, and I play my, my Seraphim very aggressively in which case I, I would say, uh, advance and advance and fire would be useful. Uh, otherwise I would run like a bloody Rose outrider, 
but that won't really fit with the two Dominion squads. Because the Dominion yeah. squads would be better as Argent Shroud, as you said. And you could also, like, you could theoretically, if you had, you'd need one more character. And I'm not sure where you'd find the points for it. But uh, if you had one more character, you could actually break the Exorcists and Retributors into the into a spearhead and get one extra CP. Mm-hmm. But you'd have to drop something because so I don't know that this is would be worth it. But a cannonist with the bolt pistol power sword is forty nine points, which is probably your cheapest HQ option. That is exactly what one of the four uh, battle sister squads is. I don't know that I would only want to go with three, but well, and then you would also be giving up the uh, a, rhino, a fourth rhino because you don't need. Yeah, well, which, which would get you end that, up saving you like you'd have over a hundred points at that point. But well, so what you could do there though is you potentially have the the option if you wanted to to put the retributors in in a rhino for a little more you know for a little more mobility or have that available to them. Uh, but yeah, you could also drop the rhino. Um, well, and technically, a a, four, a stock cannonist is bolt pistol chain sword, so you could have a cheapest chips. 45 point for yeah, yeah you'd have to get like which is the same cost as the imagifier which i'd i'd hate to give up but yeah i see where the imagifier is in there and i, I definitely see the oh yeah the lure of putting that in there but yeah you're right like well and he also has uh eight points to to play with as well because of True. the so i mean and you want to do a mechanized one. So it's, it, it's hard for me to be like, well, drop some of the, you know, maybe drop two rhinos, you know, drop a rhino and have just one squad foot slogging. Cause that's, that's another option. You drop a rhino, you add a cannonus, and now you've got a few extra points to play potentially with upgrades, you know, and give, I don't know where you give upgrades to, but you know, add, add maybe a combi, you know, a, a combi weapon to like the retributor sergeant or, you know, add hunter killer missiles or something you know, to the rhinos or something like that. You know, just you, you've got you'd potentially have some options for some of those things. But um, uh, the whole theme is you want to kind of do a mechanized a mechanized list. So, so here's what I uh, what I would do. This would not change the point cost at all. But I would go. I would have a valorous heart. OK, so, so let's let's take this from the battalion downward. I would have if you're wanting to go mechanized i could definitely see keeping it as valorous heart but i do like if you're really wanting to rush things up the table i could see an argent shroud battalion with um you could drop the book of saint lucius and but maybe you could probably just have two stock canonesses just keep them like bolt pistol power sword Put two of them in X or put two of them in rhinos. And then so you'd basically have the two cannonesses, four squads of five battle sisters, and the dual ch- storm bolters is a great build. Totally fine with that. Um, drop the Imagifier and then have the four rhinos. And like that's your battalion is two HQs, four troops, four transports. And that's Argent Shroud. Then do a Valorous Heart uh, spearhead with. You've dropped the Imagifier. I hate dropping it, but it definitely would, it would get you the 45 points. Have a cheap 
canonists for Valorous Heart with the Book of St. Lucius to get the extra three inches, just to have a larger bubble to give your let you spread out your exorcists a bit more. Park her with the exorcists and the retributor squad. Because then you'll really get a lot of a lot of use out of the reroll ones that she offers. Mm-hmm. And then uh and so that's Valor's Heart. And then the last one would be go again, go Argent Shroud, Outrider Detachment, and that then you've got your mechanized Dominions and uh your Seraphim Squad, Celestine and Gem- and the two Gemini, and let them let I wouldn't even bother necessarily deep striking the Gemini. I would just rush them forward. And with everything basically being able to advance and still fire, you're advancing so you can fire your bolt pistol. You can advance and fire your bolt pistols, advance and fire your Inferno pistols, because you get to fire as though you hadn't advanced, which if you mm-hmm. advance, you can't fire pistols. So that definitely lets them still have some more damage output. Also means you're more likely to make those charges because you're going to have shorter charges to make in general. Uh, and then, and again, I would still use them to screen Celestine because parking Celestine near the, the exorcists it does it. It's burning a lot of points for not much use out of her. She is a killy character, not a tanky character. I mean, she can survive a lot and I've had her tank a lot of stuff, but you use her because she is aggressive and able to kill things. You don't play her on defense. And that would give you basically, you'd have your fire base set up in the back and then you would have a lot of tank. You'd have like six tanks and three jump units just rushing forward. So actually, so I guess alternative question, because I do like those changes and I think that was, that would give you a, a good way to play. You did mention though with Celestine, something that I thought was interesting is that she kind of doesn't fit with the way the rest of this army plays. If you drop Celestine and the, and the Gemini, what could you do with 208 points? Like, could you potentially upgrade some of those rhinos to emulators because you've got five man squads? You know, would would that be a better use of those points of saying, okay, drop, drop Celestine and the Gemini, add in another canonist if you need to, you know, make the HQ slot still work? Technically, you could up. Let's see, rhinos are sixty seven points each. You could yeah, so upgrade. About- you could upgrade for two hundred points. You could upgrade all four rhinos. To heavy flamer, uh, heavy flamer emulators. Yeah, and you would still actually end up. See, you'd end up with twenty eight points spare. Gosh, if you could make something slightly cheaper. Yeah, I mean, you could uh, you could actually possibly get that Imagifier back in. Well, and that's and maybe you make, but you need an you HQ add, for you need an HQ for the Outrider. That's the one thing so you would need. So if you add, so if you take three emulators and one Rhino, that would give you potentially the point the the ninety points you need for. Well, would that be no one be quite ninety? Just, just, the the thing about Celestine is, is if you're well, running about ninety points. Yeah, the thing about Celestine though is if you're running the Outrider, you you really want to have. Like, Celestine actually stacks really well with Seraphim because they already have a better Shield of Faith save, and she gets them mm-hmm. up to, like, a four-up in Vuln. So it's it's actually really good for them. And there's no way... T- there, there's currently no rules for a jump canonist, which is a travesty yeah. as far as I'm concerned, but it is what it is. Agreed. And there, there's just nothing... No other character that could keep up with that. 
And if you didn't have Celestine, if you had just like a stock canonist writing with one of the Dominions, um, then I could see the using the Seraphim to deep strike again. It's like you, you either have to run the Seraphim with Celestine or or deep strike them, but I don't think you run Celestine and deep strike the Seraphim. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I think that, that potentially gives you a couple options because I think that if you if you were to potentially drop Celestine, convert three of the Rhinos to Emulators, that would give you enough points to add back in the Imagifier and another Canonist to replace Celestine. Yeah. And you could still basically do what you had before and you'd still have your 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 AP minus two on the Exorcist. You'd still have your rerolls. Well, and you'd and, have and and, I, and it might fit your your mechanized list a little bit more because you'd have more uh, you know better shooty on your your mechanized stuff as it pushes forward and can flame and and do do more. Well, and actually, if you if you replaced Celestine and the Gemini with a with a third canonist, and technically at this point it'd be a fourth canonist because we've got one sure, for Valor's yeah. Heart and then the other three would be Argent Shroud. You could go ahead and put that canonist in one of the like you could put a canonist mm-hmm. in each of those immolators. Yes, with the with their sister squads, and then have one rhino, and then just have like one rhino that is just, uh, just, just the five man squad, just the five yeah. man squad sisters. That's actually not bad either. Yeah, so that that's a, that's an option. Uh, so it just depends on like if you really want to use Gen- uh, Celestine. But if you want to use Celestine, use her effectively, and to use that her effectively, you have to have her on the attack. She is not a defensive yep. character. As far as warlord traits, would you even still need to have heroine of the making or heroine in the making? Because Celestine already gives you a beacon of faith, which is the one that gives you an extra miracle die while as long as she's on the field. Yeah. Unfortunately, the the valorous heart warlord trait is nice, but it's not like it's just it only affects the character. Yeah, it only affects her. Um, and the Argent Shroud one is only good if you're really wanting to charge, you know, move up yeah. into combat. I don't, I don't think it yeah, fits this. Great. This is a, this is a shooty rush army. I say like inspiring orator might be good for the, you know, to, to save some assisters, but you're running five band squats. So I don't know. That's going to be a huge deal. Really? I would, I would just save, I would save the, the point. Yeah. I don't see any that really, I mean, maybe beacon of, well, no, you, you can't have beacon of faith again. So, yeah. Uh, um, I would, I, I could almost see spending that point instead on an extra relic and having like litanies of faith on the table. Yes. Which get, lets you re-roll a miracle die when you get, when, uh, once per turn, when you gain a miracle die, re-roll it. And since there's several opportunities for you to regain miracle, you know, to gain miracle dice, that's actually not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think litanies of faith might be a good, good place to spend the extra point. Under uh, stratagems, uh, one thing that I would definitely make sure that you want to use is uh, – oh, which one is it here? Uh, Valorous Heart, which is why you want the Valorous Heart for the uh, Exorcist. You definitely want to take Blind Faith because uh, when you play that on a Valorous Heart unit in the shooting phase, uh, they ignore all hit modifiers. Right. So if you're so, playing, playing against Flyers or if you had to move them or – yeah. Anything All of like- a sudden, your exorcists are firing at full, full stop, you know, full effectiveness. So uh, that's super useful. Yeah. The Argent Shroud one, on the other hand, is very specific against psychic armies. So not yeah. that great. Um, now, as far as like other stratagems to, to keep in mind, we talked about using open the reliquaries to get litanies of faith. 
Battle rights is always a good one to keep in mind if you need to sh- shift up what battle right you have. A martyr's immolation is fun, especially if you're running uh, like five immolators in this list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to make sure you blow something up. You're not going to get any use out of Holy Trinity. You don't have any uh, mixed units like that. Yeah. Let's see. You have a lot of characters, so Martyred's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Venerated Saint. Let's see if there are any other Imagifier abilities. It you know since we're looking at being able to fit one back in. Mm, nope. None of those really matter. So don't worry about that. Uh, Suffer not the witch is always fun if you're playing against a Psyker army. Yeah, because it also lets you re it lets you reroll the wound roll, which means if you roll up and hit a Psyker unit with your uh, Immolator Flamers, you can reroll all those wounds, which is nice. Let's see. Devastating Refrain. If you're running if you're running three exorcists, you want to have points ready to spend on that. Yes. That one yes. is fantastic. Uh since you're since in this build, if you're keeping Celestine, uh the yeah, if we're assuming that we drop Celestine, you're gonna deep strike the Seraphim, you definitely want points for deadly descent. If you're not going mm-hmm. to if you're keeping Celestine, uh then don't bother keep them there to screen. Uh, do do do. Vessel of the Emperor's Will is always good. Test of Faith is always good. Blessed uh, bolts. Yeah, blessed bolts. You are going to use a lot of with all the storm bolters you have. Mm-hmm. Purity of Faith is there to help, especially because unless you're running the uh, sacred rite that increases your uh, deny the witch by three, uh, you're not going to be denying a lot. So having a, a four up is once per turn to deny power is good. And then. Um, a judgment of the faithful could be useful if you have one of your units have to fall back, especially like if somebody gets into your back lines and assaults your retributors, being able to fall back and then still shoot. Very good. Mm-hmm. And then we already talked about blind faith being good for your valorous heart uh, exorcists. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that pretty much covers the uh, stratagems that you'd want to use. So yeah. um, so that that's kind of where we'd go with it without doing any major change. Like the biggest change would be kind of re-exam- rearranging how you've got your units picked, seeing if you can fit in a uh, a four or another canonist to make a spearhead rather than lumping. Because with the exorcists and the retributor squad in two separate detachments, they work much better in one spearhead. And that mm-hmm. allows you to have your other battalion. Like again, if you're going, if you're going kind of Rhino or Emulator Rush, I think Argent Shroud's a better choice. And it's not yeah. like Celestine's gonna ma- gonna benefit from it in either anyway. So yeah, exactly. So th- those would be the changes. So changes would be that we would recommend a- as a possibility would be uh, make your battalion Argent Shroud, make your Outrider deta- detachment Argent Shroud. Yeah, move your heavy support units into a separate spearhead detachment keep that as valorous heart and fit drop the imagifier for a stock cheapest chips canonist give her the book of saint lucius and uh don't bother with the indomitable leaf warlord trait because it only affects infantry on and you're gonna you're not gonna have enough infantry on the table for them to like the only unit that's gonna benefit from that would be the retributors if you put them in the in kind of your fire base. And then the last point would be use Celestine aggressively or don't use her at all. And if you're not going to use her at all, then you can deep strike your seraphim and then you can upgrade three of your rhinos to 
uh, to emulator to flamer emulators, bring back the Imagifier, park, put her in the Valor's heart spearhead. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and, and again, it's a couple of model change, but it, I think it would give you more of what you're wanting out of it. But if you do want to keep Celestine, that's fine. Just be ready to use her aggressively rather than defensively. Absolutely. And if you have a letter that you would like us to read on the air or a list you want us to look at or uh, any like any commentary on anything we've done or said, uh, and as we said, we are at the – our hopper is empty. So if you want to get in on, on this, now's the time. Uh, there's three good ways to write to us. You can email us and our f- – Email address is ourfirstnames at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. And we post things we're working on, news, new releases, things like that. And you can like us, follow us there, and uh, send us messages. Third is our Twitter account. We are at twitter.com slash preferredenemy, singular. Uh, And again, you can follow us there. Post us a message in any of those three formats. We'll collect them all together, put them in the hopper, and get to them. You know, as soon as we can. The more, if, if the more letters we get, the longer it'll take us to get through them all. But uh, we will try to get to all of them. We do also have a Patreon. However, as I said last episode, I am not going to actively promote it. You can find links to on our to it on our website if you want. But for right now, we are good on hosting costs for a few months now. So uh, if you want to help, the best way you can help is find charities in your in your local area for helping provide personal protective equipment to hospitals and other uh, first responders and health workers on the front lines of this, or donate money to funds to help people who have been put out of work by... Uh, by the COVID-19 virus and the, the related economic shutdown, uh, donate money, food, time, supplies, whatever you can to food banks in your area. Try to help out your neighbors while maintaining appropriate social distance. Uh, you know, even if it's just like going out and buying groceries for people and dropping them off on their doorstep, uh, just like maybe do two trips at once so that you can reduce the number of people in stores but there's a lot of things you can do that are far more useful right now and are much more needed than providing money to us. Um, and we don't lock any of our shows behind a paywall anyway, so it's not like you have to give us money to get con- hidden content. So for right now, don't worry about us. We're fine. Put that money. If you if you want to throw, continue to send us money, that's fine. That's up to you. But rather than pro- rather than support us, support your local area because they need the help way more than we do. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about our main topic, which is how do you reconnect with 40K when nobody can play 40K? See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, 
X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. That means it's time for our main topic, which is staying engaged with a hobby when you can't leave your house to go play. Now, as everyone knows, there's no no good gaming tabletop 40K right now, at least not in person. Um, unless you are playing an all-apocalypse game that is played entirely with artillery, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, I guess you could theoretically, as long as you... I mean, you stay more than six feet away from each other, don't touch each other's models, roll your dice on your side of the table and hope your opponent trusts you to to count them up properly. You're or you not... just play one game where you control both sides. Yeah, well, and see, that's actually one of the, that is actually one option. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of things you can do for the so let's talk first off, how do you even play 40k? You know, like with your actual models and everything or something close to it. And Games Workshop even put an article on the Warhammer community site on playing Warhammer remotely. And they showed somebody who had been playing uh, Age of Sigmar and they set up a webcam. And uh, like basically you have to move like you contact a, your opponent and you talk over a chat and you move models for like you have to provide both armies. But you basically, sh- you know, let them see the battlefield and they tell you where where they want you to move stuff and you move stuff for them. And, I mean, they could roll the dice on their end if they wanted to. And uh, you could theorize, I mean, you could play that way. It yeah. would, it would be, it will be longer. And they even say, like, the game's going to take longer. You have to assume that, you know, assume that your opponent is being as sportsmanlike as possible. And if you're playing friendly games like this, you should do that anyway. Right. And then... Like, make allowances for movement, uh, be very clear about where the models are if you're hosting or where you want them to be if you're calling in. You could you could do Telepresence 40K, though. I mean, it, or 40K or, or Fantasy or Kill Team. Kill Team would actually probably be easier because there'd be less of the table for your webcam yeah. to cover. Yeah. And I've even... Yeah, the games to go faster. Yes. Yeah, you know, uh, so imagine like a one-hour Kill Team game probably going to take two hours, but it would be doable if you had... Even if you were just proxying models for, you know, for your opponent, uh, it, it's definitely a thing you could do. And uh, and with a lot of electronic stores still being considered essential because of all the people working remotely, you should still be able to order 
a webcam uh if you've got a and if you've got a laptop it's probably got a camera built in but getting like a little logitech webcam would be you know far more effective it is definitely a thing you can do it just requires you to have the table space models for both sides uh you know matt patience matt board train and patience but like if you are stuck in your let's say you live in an apartment and you don't have any roommates or you are the only person that plays 40k in your household and you have a friend who wants to play and you can do like a you know a wireless headset and a webcam that is definitely an option it's you know like i said it's going to be complex but it's definitely something you can do um as dennis suggested you could also play solo games and i've heard of people yeah. doing like if you have multiple armies you could absolutely play a game against yourself i'm not saying i've done that in the past but I might have. (laughs) (laughs) You're not saying you haven't done it. (laughs) I mean, I've even thought about, because I just finished painting uh, my Necromunda stuff, and I could actually, like, I thought about playing, like, going through a a Necromunda scenario, just, like, solo playing out, uh, you know, a couple of gangs, fighting it out in the Underhive. Or you could do the same thing, like, with, you know, we could do the same thing with Kill Team, where it's, like, kind of play around like especially if you have two two or more armies where like you haven't tried playing this kill team versus that kill team maybe it's an opportunity just try out some tactics you know get some practice games and things that you can do solo you know that that you might not have thought to do when it was easy to go down to the shop or the gaming club or call a friend over and get a game in it's you can still use that stuff again it's going to take you a little bit longer because you're doing all the work but and it won't necessarily be as satisfying as playing against someone but it would basically be the 40k equivalent of solitaire and that's fine well and and then specifically so you know solitaire playing a game by yourself like games like blackstone fortress and i and i imagine shade spire or uh, uh silver tower probably have solo modes you know where you basically just you know the the enemies you know in the scenario behave on set patterns you roll the dice for everything and like you can you know that those are those rules to like solo play Blackstone Fortress have been out there for a while. So, yeah, you know, it's not the same as playing a kilting game or something. But if you want to, you know, push models around on a table, you can do that. Like, I know some people and we'll talk more about this later, but I know some people who like will do that and like Twitch stream it, you know, and basically set their solo, you know, Blackstone Fortress game up and then they'll Twitch stream it. And they'll do commentary and they'll have people chatting back and forth while they're doing it. Yeah. And Blackstone Fortress is actually really good. Good for doing that because uh, unless you bring in that fifth player to control the enemies as as though it, as an intelligent opponent, the enemies are already on AI anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could absolutely play Blackstone Fortress single player, and that that's a that's another great option is some of the board game options that they have for yeah. And Blackstone Fortress would probably be the most ideal one, just because it's got a lot. You could play out an entire campaign by yourself even with multiple characters and just, you know, play it out and see what happens. And maybe that's, maybe that's your way to get through the, uh, you know, through your quarantine period is you set up a Blackstone Fortress on like uh, a, a spare table. Maybe it's your kitchen table. Maybe it's a, a table in your, your gaming area. And just kind of like every night we're going to play, I'm going to play through another mission. I'll, you know, play yeah. through another expedition into the fortress. Uh, definitely a thing you could do. Definitely. Also, if you don't mind not playing with physical models, 
Uh, there is another solution, and th- I've seen this getting a little bit more play. And in fact, our friends over at the Lord Marshall's Conference have been playing Quarantine Hammer this way. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been playing using Tabletop Simulator, uh, which is available on Steam. It was available for like ten bucks last week. It's back up to twenty bucks a copy. Uh, now, a couple things about Tabletop Simulator, and I I have not played around with it much. I downloaded it today. It's going to have a learning curve because the thing mm-hmm. here's the thing about Tabletop Simulator. It does not have any rules at all built into it. It is a physics simulator, which means like all the objects behave kind of like physical objects in that like if you if you just like pick up your models and drop them, they're going to fall and clatter onto the virtual tabletop. You know, it's, it's not like they're just going to snap into place. So it it's not going to help you play 40k in the sense of it's not going to know like okay this unit moves this and this unit moves this and this is this unit's weapon skill and ballistic skill it I mean it might show you the stats if the people who have set those units up have programmed those in but it's just going to be dumb information. It, otherwise, it's basically just a virtual tabletop. You have to move all the models. You have to roll all the dice, and it's not got the most intuitive user interface. I'll just say that mm-hmm. right now. However, there's a lot of unofficial fan-made support for 40K. There are a lot of tabletop designs you can download. Um, you, there are a lot of armies that have been modeled in the game, and it's a bit complex. I am still figuring out how to bring all these pieces together. Obviously, people have figured this out. There's, there's, like I said, there's lots of sources. You basically, you buy the game on Steam. Like I said, right now it's about twenty bucks US, and then there's a lot of free workshop. You go into the workshop, which is where people can put up fan mods, and you can pick and choose. Like, I want to run this table, and these, these are the arm. This is the army I want to have, mm-hmm. and. What you have to do is like you you have to load up your army in a separate like in one session. Then you and usually what that'll do is that'll give you like you find the mod that has your army in it, and it'll give you basically models for like every possible loadout and unit depending on how it's been built. Every possible loadout and unit in that army, and then you pick pieces and you can duplicate them like copy and paste them, and you build your army out of possible models and then you save that as an object and tabletop simulator would just kind of stash that the definition like these models are grouped together as my army and then you load up your tabletop and you start a game and invite a friend and hopefully they have already picked out their army as well and then you load up your tabletop and then you import an object and you select that saved object that is the army that you assembled and it'll just drop those models onto the table and usually you can pick like a there's a side spot where you can drop your army off and then you also need to bring in dice sometimes some t- some tabletops will have dice built in that you can pull sometimes you can grab custom dice objects that you can bring in and then once everybody once both players have their their armies there then it's just playing 40k except instead of picking picking up physical models you are picking up these virtual ones and setting them on the tabletop and you can speed up some things by like you can click and drag an entire model entire unit and then move those models and there's there's a number of videos on YouTube with a lot of tips and tricks on how to how to set this up and and play through a game 
Much like playing remotely, it's going to be slower because there is a big learning curve on just fighting the software to to figure out how to like move your camera around properly, how to roll your dice, how to how to how to play without accidentally picking up the terrain because like in a lot of cases the terrain is just another model, and if you click the wrong thing and try to move it, you might end up moving the building instead of the troops. So you're bumping the train. <laughs> you exactly. you could totally you can also full on table flip in the game, <laughs> which will just like sp- send the table and everything on it, like spinning off into chaos, but which isn't great, but that's kind of funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what good tabletop simulator would it be if you couldn't flip a table? Well, and then also, you know, the, the other advantage for tabletop simulator is, you know, it's not just 40 K. Oh no. Fan packs for this. Like you can use it to play D and D. You can use it to do other role playing, other miniatures games. Like there's infinite fan packs out there. Like that's the the trade off for the steep learning curve for the software and the like lack of the lack of things included in the software. You know, from a game perspective, is that it's a blank canvas. Like it's the physics engine, and then you can import in everything else and actually play any game you want. You know, and then you have this virtual tabletop environment that, you know, similar to like Roll20 or something like that. Or, you know, for, for our RPGs, you could do that in here. So there is a lot of flexibility in the program, but it is a steep learning curve. Yeah. Yeah. It is not something where you can just expect to go in, like pick your army from a menu and and drop it and start playing right away. It is yeah. not that. And, there, and also keep in mind, this is an entirely fan like. The tabletop simulator is just a generic, again, kind of physics engine geared towards tabletop games. The 40K components are completely fan-generated. And that does mean that in in legal legalese, they do violate a lot of, a lot of Games Workshop's IP. <laughs> so in the past, I don't know if they've done it recently, but in the past, Games Workshop has sent lawyers to basically go issue takedown notices and i know at least i've seen stories from like 2018 of like how armies would disappear but then get re-uploaded under slightly less infringing names so but like once you've got one downloaded i think you're you're good it's like it won't be taken away but if you can't find what you're looking for it might be there just under a different slight you know variation of a name but like the tabletops themselves should be pretty fine for the most part because those those models are kind of like just generic. So what I would say, if you're interested in checking this out and like getting a good feel for it, um, on the Lord Marshall T- uh, Lord Marshall TV Twitch page, which I believe is just yes. twitch.com backslash Lord Marshall TV, mm-hmm. they have been running their Quarantine Hammer tournament. And uh, and it's all been run through Tabletop Simulator. So you can go on there. You can watch the games. Uh, the championships will be this weekend, so probably will be over by the time this goes up. But all of those matches are still up on Twitch, and I believe will eventually be uploaded to like their YouTube channel. So you have the ability to go through and uh, see this environment and see how the software works and kind of get a feel for it uh, before you take the plunge and decide it's something you want to do. Tutorials on YouTube. There's websites about it. Like if you just Google for Tabletop Simulator 40K, there's all of the information you need. Yeah, it, it's it's out there. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't found any really like easy tutorial guides on doing it. So there there is, like I said, it's a steep learning curve, but it is it mm-hmm. is doable. 
It is absolutely doable. And for some, for I, I've seen some people say like this is how they actually like to practice an army before they buy anything. So it's yeah. it, it's something that people have been using for a couple of years now to play 40k. So. It, it's not like it's an unknown and we're all scrambling to figure out how to use it. Some people have been using this for a while. And in fact, I believe there's an entire Reddit community for like, I think it's TTS Warhammer 40K is the subreddit. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely people who have been doing this for a while. So the the files are out there. The information is out there. Uh, the other thing to remember is that both players, if you're playing with a friend, both players will have to have a copy of it. So you'll both buy, mm-hmm. have to buy it. And then one of you will host the game and the other will basically join in. So just be aware of that. So there is, there's a slight out, outlay of cost for both people. But again, it's 20 bucks. It's not too bad. And all the armies and tabletops are free as far as I know. Okay. So moving on from variations of playing straight up 40k what about playing things that are 40k inspired and that's where i've been getting uh, my fix one of my fixes lately and i have basically reinstalled i've had a lot of the the various uh, warhammer 40k video games uh, on steam for a while and i recently decided to just reinstall and reconnect with them so just looking at my desktop right now, I have both Battlefleet Gothics, which uh, Battlefleet Gothic Armada 1 and 2. I have uh, Warhammer 40k Dawn of War 1, 2, and 3. Um, I have had uh, uh, Space Marine, the third-person shooter game, on here as well, although I've already beaten that when I had it on Xbox 360, so um, haven't really uh, downloaded that one. Uh, recently but i do have it on my account uh all of those are playable online they're all they can all be played single player or multiplayer although i think space marine might be hard harder to find multiplayer for just because it's a several year old game and the player although the player base might be picking back up i don't know honestly i didn't really enjoy the multiplayer that much in that game anyway but yeah uh, but, it's a fun game, though. Yeah, uh, but I find like if if you want to get that feeling of large armies with lots of units moving around, lots of in- individual models moving around, uh, the original Dawn of War, although it is by modern graphics sk- standards ugly as sin, <laughs> um, it is actually a uh, it will give you that feel of watching like building up a bunch of units and sending them out to attack. Now it's, it's a more traditional like real time strategy game, but especially if you play, uh, if you have a uh, soul storm, which was the last expansion for it, which I think on steam anymore, if you buy Dawn of war one, you pretty much get all the factions, which is everything up. It's like, uh, let's see. It was originally Eldar orc, Space Marines, Chaos Space Marines, then they added Guard, then they added Tau and Necrons, and then they added Sisters and Dark Eldar. And that's where they stopped. They didn't put Nids in that. Although there is a a fan-based mod called uh, Warhammer 40k Dawn of War Apocalypse, and it has been updated many times over the last, like, eight years to the point where it now like i haven't installed it i should give it a try but it like they have townar in there now 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, so Warhammer 40K Dawn of War. Let me look this up. Apocalypse Mod. The ultimate Apocalypse Mod for Dawn of War. You can find this over on moddb.com. They don't have Sisters of Battle updates yet, but obviously Sisters of Battle in the game. There are link. You, you could, they've added Tyranids and Chaos Demons to the game. Oh, that's new. And there and being an Apocalypse mod, there. I don't know if they have a list of all the units they've added. Okay, so there. It even has its own wiki. Oh, and they've also added uh, Demon Hunter, like Ordo Malleus Inquisitors, as a separate faction too. Uh, Nids have, apparently have all the way up to a Hierophant Biotitan in the game. Nice. In, in this mod. Let's see, this this one's a little bit out of date because I've seen stills like still shots of the uh of the um town art, but they definitely have they have a playable manta in the game. <laughs> the Necrons I know have the ga- Goss Pylon. Guard, they added uh Shadow Sword, Storm Hammers, and Imperial Reaver Titan. So yeah, I mean They've basically, as a fan project, they have added a ton of stuff onto this game so that if you're not getting enough of what you wanted, like uh, Eldar, they added the Revenant and Phantom Titans. Apparently, unit, Kagorak the Laughing God. That seems fair. (laughs) 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 But yeah, just give give the base game a spin and then if you're wanting more out of it then uh you can there's definitely mods that can add a lot of stuff onto this uh then there's dawn of war 2 which definitely has better graphics it's but you're dealing with much smaller armies because it's basically like a couple like characters plus a few plus a couple of units and then you'll be able to build up a few more units but not many it's more it's almost more of like a real time mass adventure fighting game thing than it is like a full-on like traditional real-time strategy game like hero hammer it's a yeah it's definitely more hero hammer uh now they did have a really fun uh version or like a fun like mode yeah game mode on it that they added in the last expansion which uh, was retribution and that mod basically you or that mod it's not a mod it's core game uh, that mo- game mode, basically, you picked a character, and then it was, like, you and, like, three other people playing three different characters, and just, like, how long, how many waves of enemies can you survive? That's kind of neat. Yeah, and that's one where I don't think Tau were playable in Dawn of War 2, but they added, like, there was a Tau commander and, like, a Necron overlord that you could play, even though those factions weren't featured in Dawn of War uh, in Dawn of War 2, I should say. And then there's Dawn of War 3, which I just downloaded and played through the tutorial, and I already can see why it didn't do very well. Yeah. Graphically, it's beautiful. It is the best looking of all the Dawn of Wars, but it's also basically League of Legends Dawn of War style. Like, it, it, it makes, it is superhero hammer. Yeah, maybe that appeals to some people. I didn't appeal to very many people, unfortunately. Yeah, no, because... I, I know it was kind of a flop. <laughs> well, it was it was a flop because it didn't appeal to the people that were waiting yeah. for a new Dawn of War game. And actually, what they had wanted was something more like Dawn of War 1, but with the graphics of Dawn of War 2. Yeah. And what they got was neat. They got better graphics and nowhere near the gameplay of Dawn of War 1, which is why it didn't do very well. Which Donna, just out of curiosity, which Donna Ward game had the chaos, had the corn sorcerer in it? 
Um, that would be, I think, Dawn of Dawn of War Two. Kind of had that worked into the storyline where you had a sorcerer that turned into a bloodthirster at the end of the campaign. It's not how that works. No, it's not how that works <laughs> it's not at how all. How any of this works? No, and I think Dawn of War One may have had a little bit of that too. Yeah, it's like well, this was a period before the story is, is is a lot tighter now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If they did it again. It would be very different. It would be very different. <laughs> On the other hand, like Battle, okay, so Battlefleet Gothic one and two, Battlefleet Gothic Armada, um, they are very solid, like real time strategy versions of the Battlefleet Gothic game. They're, I mean, they're not straight up the exact same rule set, that, obviously, but it's it's captured the feel of the original Battlefleet Gothic. Battlefleet Gothic one is basically a retelling of the the Gothic. Like the Gothic Sector War, which is what the original Battlefleet Gothic was. Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2 takes place right around slash after the fall of Cadia and actually has like full campaign mode to play out what happens up to and after the fall of Cadia. So it it, it nice. takes place during that storyline. Nice. I don't think I realized that. Yeah, no, very, very much tied into. And when it came out was like. I think it it came out about a year or so ago. So like the the end like the Gathering Storm storyline was still very fresh in people's minds. So it it's, it was very topical, and that is one where you can also play like they've got a bunch of fleets stock in that game. In like uh, I believe they had Eldar. Yes. Uh, so so factions: uh, Imperial Navy, Space Marines, Adeptus Mechanicus, and you can do mixed imperial fleet so you can have like a mechanicus ship and an, like amongst your imperial navy stuff chaos eldari corsairs osiriani drukari orcs necrons tyranids and two variations of tau fleet mm. and that See, eldar is very well represented yes and as far as i understand like a the game is absolutely beautiful i've, I've played played through a little bit of it it is a absolutely beautiful game it is it can be very hard. There's a there's a bit of a learning curve on it. They they work you through some tutorial missions and then they just kind of throw you into the into the deep water and hope you swim. But uh, there's like a whole campaign thing. Like there's fleet management and buying up the right ships and keeping them repaired and and then going into actual combat. And there's a lot of it's a lot about maneuvering and lining up your your firing arcs because you're doing broadsides and firing torpedoes and like some of like line up the shot and fire the torpedoes so that you, so that you're going to your torpedoes will intersect their flight path. And there's a lot to keep in mind, but you can also, as long as you're not playing against a human being, like if you're just playing single player, you can pause it and kind of like pivot the camera around and get a feel for everything. And and there's a lot going on, but it's like I said, it's an absolutely beautiful game. The ships are, are rendered in amazing levels of detail where like you can zoom in and see like all the crenellations on, on top of these Gothic ships for like the Imperial and chaos fleets. It's, it's really cool. If you like fleet combat, or if you think you might like fleet combat, I would definitely recommend it. And let's see, what are those going for right now on, because again, these are available on steam. So the original battlefleet Gothic is currently going for um, is going for twenty bucks, and that doesn't now that does not include any of the DLC. 
but there is a complete version uh, that includes all DLC, at, which is Space Marine and Tau. There's two two fleets that they added later, and then the soundtrack. And that bundle... The, okay, sorry. The complete edition is... Well, because for me, it's on sale because I already have all this except for the soundtrack. <laughs> uh, I was like, it's six seventy nine for me. It's, it's currently 15% off, but that's my price because, like I said, I already own most of it. Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2 is 40 bucks. There's a Chaos Campaign expansion that's tw- like $13, and then there's Complete Edition for 51 bucks. but that includes... That's the base game, the Chaos Campaign, and the soundtrack. But I already have the Chaos Campaign and uh, the base game. But 20 bucks for bet for one, 40 bucks for number two, and number two, the, all those fleets I listed are all included. They are core in the game. And they do support they do support multiplayer play, so you can you can, you know, play like if you and your friend both have it, you can play play real time against each other, or like I said, they've got campaign play. Uh, so definitely a way to engage in the hobby and the universe while, you know, while not leaving your house. So that's, a, that's ways to play 40k or things related to 40k. But there's also a lot of stuff you can do with 40k that doesn't, in, that may involve miniatures, but does not involve playing. And that would be focusing on hobby. And I know that has been kind of a, like everyone was like, "Hey, all these people are going to be stuck at home. I will paint all my miniatures." And the secret is, no one will paint their miniatures. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of related to that. Without it's kind of funny is that on the the community site they just posted today a list of like uh, achievements, quote unquote, for uh, people as they're staying at home. So it's like you know the hive mind achievement. You know, take a picture of the latest model you've painted. Uh, groundwork, you know, work on scenic bases, uh, build and paint a monster, build and paint a kill team, uh, listen to an audiobook while you're painting, things, mm-hmm. things like that. Like, it's just a, a really cool, like, cross section of ways to kind of stay motivated. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do this, you know, read a Black Library novel to get this badge and things like that. Like, so th- there's, it's kind of neat that GW is doing those things to encourage, uh, people to stay engaged with the hobby while they do have this potential downtime. See, I, I saw this article this morning. I, I shared it to the to the preferred enemies Facebook page, mm-hmm. and I love. I'm I'm going to try to. I won't finish all of these probably, uh, but I I can say right now I'm not going to paint a Warcry warband. <laughs> actually, I started like so when we got the Warcry uh, set to to look at. Um, like Richard and I split it, or like because I gave you what the kind of the Untamed Beasts team. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I took the iron golems. And so I've been finishing up some other things. But uh, today, when I started putting together the iron golems, because why not? I'll go for number six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go for the Archaeon's favor, p- build and paint a Warcry Warband, because, you know, why not? But, you know, it's it's one of these ways that, you know, because Game, Games Workshop is they are they themselves are in a very awkward position that they literally cannot sell their product right now. They, they are not taking any orders on their website. They can't ship anything out, even if they could take orders, because their warehouse is closed. All their all their brick-and-mortar stores are closed worldwide. So they're in a you know they're in a rough spot. And at the same time, I am so grateful that we have that they have in, embraced the community. Imagine if this had happened like six years ago. 
it, it mm. legitimately we'd be discussing whether this is the death of the hobby or not. Yeah, absolutely. And instead, what we're discussing is, hell, GW is doing what they can to keep people engaged, even knowing that they are not going to make dime one off of it. Yeah. At, you know, at this point. So they are doing their hobby hangouts on Twitch, which we mentioned last episode, their Twitch stream, which is just twitch.t or twitch.tv slash Warhammer is free. Like they, they yeah. release the, like you can't like, or they, it's free in that everything they have is available for watching. Now they still do have yeah. a subscriber status. And that was one of the things they learned between week one and week two of their previews is that if they opened up commentary to everyone, so many people commented <laughs> that they couldn't read anything. Cause there was something like 40,000 plus people watching that stream at one point. <laughs> yeah, wow. it was nuts. <laughs> so, so they did limit it to everybody can watch it, but only people who are subscribed can view it. But then they also brought up the fact that if you're on Amazon prime, which a lot of people are, you have a uh-huh. free Twitch TV subscription. So like just, if you haven't used it already, just subscribe using that. It doesn't cost you anything beyond what you're already paying for, and you can comment. But they're doing that, and apparently during one of their one of the people on the hobby hangout, uh, I think last week, what, thought he was cleaning his brush. And you know, there's that habit of like twisting the brush in your mouth to reform a point on it. He had dipped it in blue contrast paint and hadn't cleaned it and oh. stuck it in his mouth. <laughs> So they they even posted a clip of it to their Twitter account showing him, like, he sticks him out, and then he just gets this look on, like, and he's got this blue streak sticking out of his mouth. Oh, that's oh so no, great. that sounds horrible. He found oh, out what contrast so paint great. tastes like, apparently. That's bad. not as that's not as bad as uh, accidentally taking a drink out of your dump cup, which... That's also bad. <laughs> uh, so Twitch has been one of the kind of godsends in all of this, I think, because we mentioned like the Warhammer, you know, Twitch uh, stream, uh, frontline gaming is putting Twitch videos up. CK studios is putting hobby hangout paint videos up. I follow a bunch of people on like Instagram that are going on Twitch or doing Instagram live and are just doing hangouts while they're painting. There's so many different ways that you can kind of engage with people as they just, are hanging out and, you know, doing the, you know, doing the hobby, painting stuff, building things. Uh, and I think that's just such a great way to stay engaged. Oh, yeah. You just and- have to also, you just have to also, like, temper your expectations and not d- get discouraged. Because, like, all person be like, oh, cool, I'm going to go paint something and I'll be scrolling through my Instagram feed. And I'll be like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been posting more stuff to my Instagram as I've been as I've been working through and painting things. And, and as somebody, you know, somebody said, well, I, I haven't had any more po- time to paint because, you know, I'm considered an essential employee. And I'm like, well, and mm-hmm. I've got my normal nine to five. So, and I've got two kids at home. So I haven't had a lot more time other than, like I said, the commute time. But I've, I think this whole thing has kind of kicked my ass a bit to tell me, hey, maybe you shouldn't just sit around and wait for these things to paint themselves. Maybe you should actually put some time time into this. Wait, you, wait. My models will paint themselves? N- no. If you no, wait long enough, yes. No, 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 they won't. No, no. Man, you got my hopes up. Sorry. I mean, they the closest they'll get to painting themselves is if you just pour contrast paint over them, and then they'll, I mean, they'll be one color <laughs> with, yeah, with some light highlights with and shades. <laughs> it's my camouflaged army that, that 
fights exclusively on gray mist planets. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, there, anyways, I've been posting a lot of stuff to Instagram and then I'll look and I'll, you know, I've been, uh, like, you know, hashtagging everything with, you know, miniature painting, Warhammer 40k, Warhammer 40,000, uh, and then like hashtagging with like what model I'm working on, what faction it's from. And then also like COVID-19 project quarantine life, just kind of like, <laughs> kind of just be a log of like, what's going, what am I working on while we're all kind of stuck here? And I'll get likes and follows from people, and then I'll like go look at their stuff. I'm like, why are you following me? You're way better than I am. Yeah, but like I think there's just kind of this whole Instagram is very interesting because there's a very it's uh, I'll say this it's it's easily the most positive and like re reassuring like social media platform I think. So there's just this really kind of self-sustaining like community of people that are like oh you're painting oh that's great doesn't matter if your painting is crap like mine you know they're like oh no that's great they'll give me likes and they'll comment on stuff and it's like that's really cool like i think that's a great way to to encourage people to do the hobby part of the of the of the hobby <laughs> yeah and also uh you know we mentioned that uh was it warcom team the the official warhammer community twitter account They've mm-hmm. been putting out calls like every day, like, all right, show us this thing that you work like, hey, anybody who's painted something like this, go ahead and go ahead and share it and just tag it, you know, tag it with the right hashtag and uh, and they'll repost a lot of it and get, you know, and kind of signal boost it. And they just they've been finding ways to engage people on the hobby level. Um, also, uh, YouTube, well, uh, like miniwargaming.com. They're in an odd spot because a lot of their video content is battle reports from their battle bunker, and they can't do those right <laughs> now. <laughs> they're they're yeah. not they're not even allowed to to go to their battle bunker, so they're all filming stuff. Like Dave from MiniWarGaming.com has been trying to uh, like teach his kids how to play. I think he just recorded the first game with his wife teaching her how to play. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Matt from Mini War Gaming is doing videos on how to like how to play side games. So like he did a whole video like this is what you need to play Blood Bowl. Here's this is what you need to play like the books and things that you'll need to play Necromunda. So you know they're finding new ways to uh, you know kind of put you know keep putting content out there because they're built you know like they make their money on these videos so they have to. You know, that's their job is providing content and they are finding ways to provide content when they can't do their normal content. Like, I think they've already worked like the first week or so like, well, we have some old some battle reports that were still in the middle of being edited. So or here's a couple that were never released. So we'll go ahead and put those out there. And then they ran out of that. And so now they're all just doing stuff from home. (laughs) And so. But yeah, like, you know, besides sharing the hobby and talking about it on Twitch and Instagram and such, you know, part of it is just actually sitting down and doing it. And maybe it's not like, you know, people, maybe it's not like sitting down and painting your entire army, but maybe it's, you start off by finding something in your backlog. Maybe it's a model that, like for me, it's been models that I've had half finished. I start a lot of projects and we'll get about halfway done and then something else will come up and I'll like maybe it's in a like I'll start working on oh a perfect example. I was working on my Emperor's Children for Renegade. Uh for mm-hmm. like you know, where I had like painted up the two Mahler fiends to take for the, the team tournament at at Renegade. And I started working like I finally got around to work doing painting on my Chaos Decimator. 
And then I set that aside because I think I started working on some sisters models for another event. And then I set that, and when I got those done, then I started painting up a few more Tau models for a local kill team league. And I just kept setting aside my decimator, kept setting aside my decimator. And I finally, like, decided, hey, I should just finally finish painting that thing because it's halfway done. It won't take me long to do. But when I got, like, or I actually started off by doing, like, my Necromunda, Eshers, and Goliaths, because they had been half done since that box came out, like, two years ago. <laughs> like, I had built them, I had primed them, I had started working on them, and I think with the Eshers, I kind of got frustrated with how it was going, so I just, I set them aside and then got working on other army projects, and so I was like, you know what, this is a perfect opportunity to just get them done and call it a day. So I got them done, and then it's like, oh, that felt pretty good. I'll finish up the Goliaths next. And then I painted them, and they're like, okay, so now what do I want to do? And then I started working on my Decimator, and then I finished that, and then I started working on a Fetid Bloat drone, like the one that came in the Dark Imperium box that I'd been sitting on for a while and never finished painting. So maybe it's not painting a whole army, but maybe it's just finding models in your collection that's like, yeah, I should get around to finishing that, and just doing that one model, and then... Okay, that felt good. Let's do another one. <laughs> and it's easier to work through a monolithic backlog in small chunks because a backlog is not really monolithic at all. It's a whole bunch of individual models and squads and such. And you can work through those bit by bit. And even even if at the end of this, you know, yeah, you don't have your entire army painted or whatever. If you, if you chipped through your backlog and made it smaller, especially in this time when you can't buy anything new... You've made progress, and that will you'll yeah. feel good. Yeah, I I have finally got you know a space cleared in my hobby area so that I can start working on things again. And I dug out my old. Uh, I found the Forge Bane box that I just had sitting, and I'm actually doing that right now. I'm putting together an armature. Nice, nice. And, you know, that could be part of it, too, is just maybe clean, you know, getting around to, like, that's something I need to do is I also need to figure out how to arrange my paints because they have, my my collection of paints has overgrown my storage for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe cleaning and reorganizing your hobby spot. So, like, maybe you've, you've been painting a whole lot of projects and just moving from one thing to one thing to one, you know, next thing to the next thing. And you just kind of accumulated workspace is your 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 space is your workspace has accumulated so much stuff that you don't have space to work anymore that's another way you can engage with a hobby is just kind of that can be really good for your state of mind and your mental health is just going through the process of giving yourself a task to okay today I'm going to clean my hobby spot and I'm going to get it back to you know paint and shape rearranging your models sorting out consolidating boxes down and getting your hobby area clear, cleaning up your game room. Uh, There's a lot to be said for, especially if you are in a situation where you are a non-essential worker and you're furloughed or you just don't have any work right now and you don't have a lot to do, give yourself something to do. And, and And also, like, one of the great things about doing hobby, whether it's playing a game you know, playing a video game, playing a game on tabletop simulator, uh, doing some painting. 
if you've got nothing else going on, especially right now, one of the best things you can do is give yourself a routine Mm -hmm. because that will help you manage the passage of time. That will help you keep your brain engaged. It will help keep you occupied from fixating on some of the news. I'm not saying you should totally cut yourself off from the world because it's good to know what's going on, but it will help you keep you from fixating on it. And it just maintaining a routine can be very, very good for you in situations where you might have a lot of anxiety and doubt and just kind of feeling listless and lost. So that can be a literally a lifesaver. Because it's very easy to just kind of want to sink into the couch and tune out of the world and do nothing. But in the long run, it's that's not a healthy set of behavior. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. This definitely anything you can do to kind of get you into, you know, a routine and, and you know, while while you're going through this, just to help you focus on something else, like as a distraction, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys talked about like how yeah, working remote, you don't have to you don't have to dress up for work. You don't have to uh, you know, put on dress pants. And I know for some people that has just moved to the level of I don't have to put on pants. Um, in fact, uh, I think what was it Walmart said uh they released a report said in the first week or so of the the shelter in place for a lot of places, tops were selling well, but pants stopped selling. <laughs> because so many people were on like doing video chat. They had to look good from the waist up. (laughs) And and the reason I bring that up is uh, that is something that, at least in our household, uh, yes, I am working. I I am working remote and we don't even do video Zoom. Like our team doesn't. We just do voice. And so while technically I could just not get dressed all day, (laughs) uh, I find it is actually it is better for my state of mind to do my normal mm-hmm. morning routine, just like do everything as though you were getting ready to go commute. But then I commute from my living room to my garage. <laughs> you know, I just walk there. And that, you know, even that can be a way to keep yourself engaged is to just maintain the your normal daily habits as much as possible. But then when it gets time to, well, this is the time I would be working. That's when you go, okay, so first off, I'm going to, I'm going to clean up my hobby spot for the day and I'll, Maybe, you know, if you've got a computer or or your phone or something, and I'll put on a YouTube video or a Twitch stream while I'm doing it. And then, okay, so I'll do that. And now I'm going to I'm gonna work on painting this model for an hour or two. Then I'll break for lunch. And then um, maybe I'll go, you know, I'll go play a game or, hey, you know, I'll talk to a friend of mine, see if he's up for doing some tabletop simulator or something like that. Just, you know, building in a routine can be a way to you can engage in the hobby and engage in your own mental health at the same time. So uh, just finding things to do, finding ways to stay connected to your friends, to your hobby, to the world, that is going to help us all. Like that's Those are ways that we can all kind of get through this time when we cannot play, but we can do a lot. Of, there's a lot of other things we can do, and we can do them together even though we have to do them apart. Mm-hmm. Ah, so I don't know about anyone else, but I'm up for morale phase. Anybody uh, want to do morale phase now? So yeah, uh, does any, does anybody else have ideas? Uh, um, you're gonna have Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. let, let's do yeah. let's do f- like 
if everybody wants to do one small instead of doing one big morale phase, just something we're all kind of enjoying recently. So so or Dennis, I know this is something you're looking forward to as of yep. like yep. in like when, two hours. When we finish the podcast, I will be probably starting that and playing it until I finish it and I guess maybe sleeping sometime during that. And then I'll probably get back to my standard thing of hobby and other things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if and if people didn't hear us because of the crosstalk, uh that is the Final Fantasy VII remake that Square Enix is putting out for the PlayStation 4, which uh, goes becomes available at midnight, what, midnight Eastern time tonight? Or is it midnight yes. Pacific? Eastern. Eastern. And I know Eastern. they made that available because people would not be able to buy it in stores. They made it available for early download so people could have it ready to go on at, at launch time. So, Richard, what about you? Um, I too am also anxiously awaiting Final Fantasy VII. Um, I had uh, also just finished up playing Resident Evil Three, the the new remake of of the original uh, nineteen ninety nine game. Yeah, and I've heard the, been, the 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 remakes of one, two, and three have been really solid. Yes, yes. This one, this one's uh, a lot more action oriented than then two two was a lot more like kind of horror atmosphere focused um but that's kind of the way the original like two and three like were related so so it's so it's but, it's a faithful trans translation it's just a translating a different style of game than two was yes mm-hmm. uh, what about you kevin so trying to figure out how to where to drop this in into the episode so i think this is probably the best place it's not really something well it's something i've enjoyed seeing but it's not necessarily something related to me i thought i would definitely would be good for us to just shout out some game companies and that you know that have been helping out with this uh with, you know during the coronavirus stuff so uh army painter just announced a couple days ago that they're switching their entire assembly line over to making hand sanitizer and providing those bottles for to free uh, to local schools and businesses. I know that uh, we mentioned in the last episode that Hammerhead Games is like making face masks and like using their laser cutter um, equipment to to you know, make face mask guards and, and get those out. I know a bunch of people in the 3D printing community have been uh, going through and printing off face masks and donating them. You know, I know Humble Bundle is raising funds, you know, to for COVID-19 support. Um, and I just think it's just great that there's a number of those great companies that are that are actually helping out in this case. Uh, and if there's anybody, you know, if there's any other companies or any other, you know, specific games companies or or stores or anything like that that's doing stuff like that, send it to us and let us know, and we'll definitely signal boost it on our page. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know some like people in the 3D printing community they've got they've started printing like printing out and distributing. Uh, ear protectors like these bands that mm-hmm. go behind the head for like like nurses and doctors to wear so that the the elastic bands on their face masks don't cut into the backs of their ears so yeah, yeah just little things like that can make such a huge difference especially when these you know they're having to wear masks for like 12 13 14 hour shifts i mean that, yeah. that you know that something as minor as that uh, seemingly minor as a band to protect your ears could be a huge quality of a life improvement for one of these, you know, healthcare workers who are on the front lines of this. I also know uh, Games Workshop said that the company that 
produces their their entire Citadel paint range has switched over also to doing the uh, to making hand sanitizer for the National Health Service. So nice. so yeah, I mean it's like companies are definitely finding ways to pivot into being very you know figure out how they can use their resources that they already have to help everyone through this. And that has been phenomenal yeah. to see. And that, yeah, it is, it, it definitely will raise morale to, to see that. So yeah, I, I again, to mirror Kevin, if you have any other examples of things that are happening in your community, maybe it's, you know, people who have, you know, companies that have repurposed from doing this to doing that to help out, definitely let us know. And we'd be glad to signal boost that. Yeah. I do have one other really quick one that I wanted to mention as well, which is actually more like morale phase thing. John Krasinski, uh, Jim from The Office, yes. has started doing a YouTube show called uh, Some Good News, and it is awesome and uplifting and fun, and you should check it out. Yes. I would definitely yeah. – I think check out episode – I think it's episode two, especially if you are a fan of the musical Hamilton, because yes. you get to see them <laughs> blow some kid's mind. Oh, gosh, it was so good to see. And that one hit home for me, too, because uh, my oldest daughter was going to head to New York at the end of May for a school trip. And one of the things they were going to do is they were going to go to Broadway. Yeah, you can imagine that got canceled pretty fast. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the I, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but let's just say it's it's impressive to see what they pulled off for this one kid who was going to go see Hampton. It wasn't even on Broadway. She was going to go see it like locally in Jacksonville, Florida. Like, see, the touring <laughs> company, and that got shut down, and what they do for her is is amazing. So, yeah, definitely check out some good news, because this is a time when we can all definitely use some good news here and there. Yeah. Um, as for me, uh, I'm not playing Final Fantasy VII, uh, the, the remake, but uh, one thing I have played, because, again, there's been a lot of push towards finding new ways to do do gaming on, on Steam, and... Uh, and uh, Asmodee Digital actually has an entire line of a lot of their board games, like digital versions of their board games. So I went ahead and picked up, uh, they had a pack, and one of the games that included in it was Terraforming Mars, which is, it is a engine-building Euro board game where, when I say Euro game, it, you are not, you are competing with your with the other players, but you are not, like, actively like it's not head-to-head -head competition where you're actively like pushing each other back from doing things it's like your own you're both trying to do your own thing and end up earning more points at the end but it's a neat like hard science world building and engine building game where you're trying to uh earn the most points while making mars habitable uh, it's a game that I've always wanted to try out in tabletop version, and there's a like uh, the the guys that do Shut Up and Sit Down have done a review of it, and it's really it's a fun review to watch, and like always always been interested in in wanting to give it a try, and I just don't have anybody in my immediate circle. Like my my family does card games, we don't do a lot of board games, and I think this one would be a little bit more complex than my kids would be able to handle right now. But I finally got a chance to try it, and I finally won a game, which felt really good. <laughs> but it's actually and it and one of the things about it is that it does handle like a lot of like a lot of the math and scoring f behind you know in the background, and it has a really good set of tutorials to teach you how the game works, which is something that a lot of board games don't have. 
So I feel like I could actually play this in person and have a good grasp of it if I you know, ever get a chance. But it also I can just I can just play against an AI and and just like just play a solo game. So that's also great. Um, and they even in that same bundle also had uh, Scythe, so a digital version of mm. that, which is a, a really neat game. Uh, and those games are both also available on Tabletop Simulator. But as I said, Tabletop Simulator is literally, and I think they're official like DLC. Like you can buy the Scythe or Terraforming Mars pack for ter- so it's got like all the official components. But again, it's just a physics engine, so you have to know how to play the game and do all the calculations yourself. This just gives you all the pieces to place. The digital version that for like the Asmodee digital version does all the all the work for you. You just have to basically like click where you want to do stuff. So I I think I prefer that over the tabletop simulator version. <laughs> well, that has been another episode. Uh, this was episode two hundred and fourteen. <laughs> Um, we, in two weeks, we'll come back with another one and by then we'll have had another preview. So we'll have some more, we'll actually have news and new releases to talk about and, uh, we'll see if we can't scare up a topic, uh, to cover all the things that we're not playing right now, which is, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find some 40k stuff to talk about in a couple of weeks. So from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob, Kevin, Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming, and once again, stay safe and healthy, everybody. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.